it's no longer just consumer DeepL versus consumer Google Translate. It's now kind of like enterprise DeepL versus somewhat enterprisey Google Translation Hub. They've kind of moved now to building on top of multilingual models and building custom MT. Welcome everyone to SlaterPod. Hi, Esther. Hey, Florian. News podcast today, a breaking story just hit our desk this morning, uh, this morning being Thursday. So if you listen to this on Friday, it's like mildly breaking, but it's about D-Bell and a monster round that they're, they appear to be closing. Uh, then we also talk about language line buying Capita, Straker's biggest client, machine translation at Europe's second largest bank, and just quickly uh, touching on the script the app we're using to produce this podcast, closing a $50 million round. So, Esther, what hit the wires this morning? Not the wires, one wire this morning. Yeah, uh, well, we've got uh, news that DeepL, so the German-based machine translation company, has raised a mega, mega funding round. So let's get the tense right. It is raising. It is raising. There we go. This was a bit of a scoop by a Business Insider uh, that they published uh, Thursday morning that uh, DeepL is raising a large financing round. Apparently, they're raising something around 100 to $150 million, uh, valuing the company at almost a billion. So Business Insider is so uh, quoting various sources there, so it's not exact. And uh, obviously, it's not. It's unconfirmed by DeepL, so they they haven't gotten back to our uh, email asking for comment about this. But this is a. I mean, you know, it's it's probably ballpark right, and it would be a massive round, one of the biggest one in the language industry generally. I mean, in the translation industry, it might be the biggest one. Like we've had Verbit raising at a two billion dollar valuation, but this one would be uh, the biggest one in the translation technology space because Verbit is transcription. Um, big investor names. So there's three investors that BI, Business Insider says, are uh, participating in a round. The lead apparently is with a company called IVP, venture firm called IVP. You know, long established track record. They've, you know, done stuff like Netflix. Uh, I mean, they invested Netflix in kind of this, you know, early stage. They did Hopping, GitHub, Grammarly, Slack, Wise. Uh, so qu quite a lot of companies, they... Invested, of course, I think 400, 400 uh, that they've done. Uh, 131 of which have gone public. Would be amazing if DeepL ended up being public. That would be lovely for our job. What? So we get lots of nice information. We'd get so much nice information, you know. Uh, another VC firm that's participating, apparently, always, according to Business Insider, is Atomico, which invested in Gengo way back. Remember Gengo, the crowd? source translation platform sold to Lionbridge. We're based in Tokyo. I once visited their beautiful office in central Tokyo, um, and which then became Lionbridge's, I think. Or maybe they moved to Lionbridge, don't recall. Uh, another VC firm that participated was Bessemer Venture Partners. They have companies like, or invested in companies like Shopify, Twilio, LinkedIn, of all things, way back. So, yeah, look, uh, this would be a a massive round. Would allow DeepL to really go much more enterprise, of course, because we spoke about many times in the past how they're basically expanding into the enterprise, hiring like customer success people, you know, people that you can actually give a call and can kind of help help you uh, customize the system for your 
very specific enterprise needs. So if you have 150 million more in the bank, that'll help. And it's also, of course, now with Google Translation Hub, I mean, they're getting a bit of heat from uh, the big tech companies, right? So it's no longer just consumer DeepL versus consumer Google Translate. It's now kind of like enterprise DeepL versus somewhat enterprisey Google Translation Hub, right? And uh, yeah, so this is interesting. And of course, there's a, there's another uh, more than a radar competition going on here with kind of DIY stuff. So we did cover a story recently um, where BNP Paribas, Europe's second largest bank, I think by market cap, I'm not sure about like balance sheet, but by market cap, it's a big bank out of Paris. So they're building like their own domain adapted, pre-trained multilingual MT. Uh, what are the key points there, Esther? Yeah, well, it seems like they've been doing it for a while. I think kind of f past five years or so, they've been working on building their own um, machine translation. Um, and I mean, for a bank, I think the reason that they would choose to do this in-house, you know, invest in sort of spending the money and time on it is um, really for the confidentiality aspect. Because uh, you might think, well, you know, banking, why do they care about machine translation? But obviously... Um, confidentiality, super sensitive materials. Um, they kind of want to keep hold of that rather than using, you know, somebody, a uh, third party like DeepL or um, Google Translate. Um, but yeah, they've recently sort of, uh, I think, converted to using a new approach. Uh, so I think you mentioned the, 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 well, what they're actually calling the machine translation, but they've recently authored a paper called Robust Domain Adaptation for Pre-trained Multilingual M NMT Models. Um, so they've kind of moved now to building on top of multilingual models and um, building custom MT. Um, so this is kind of the quite sophisticated approach, uh, really, that they're taking to their machine translation. Yeah, and I think this would probably allow for more like low resource coverage because you don't need all the training data if you run these multilingual models. You know, we should have asked um, Constantine from Intento last week about it. But anyway, uh, and it's it, I find it interesting that the bank would build this in-house. I mean, you mentioned confidentiality, but like, are you, are you as a bank, are you building like everything in-house and you run all of your own data centers? And, you know, I'm not an expert, but I, I do recall back from my days at CLS, UBS was one of our biggest clients back then. And I mean, they also wanted to have like, very, there were super strict requirements. So everything was hosted in Switzerland. We had to log in via some kind of VPN, et cetera. So I still feel that it's, to me, it sounds a little, it's it's a little excessive if you have like, like an internal team at a bank that's going like super niche on like MT. I mean, yeah. You think why not use sort of Sistran or somebody like that, especially with the kind of French connection? Correct, like on-prem, on-premise, right, on your own thing. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's, I'm not sure if it's like fully live in production or if it's more of an academic exercise. I think it's somewhere in between. But yeah, I mean, I guess these would be the kind of pain points that a well-funded DBL might be able to address because that, you know, if you want to go fully custom, fully behind whatever firewalls or, or local hosting uh, you, you require, maybe that's something they, they would be, it would be able to offer at some point in the future, which right now I think it, it's impossible. I mean, it's very, I mean, DeepL runs its own servers and you probably have to send everything to them. I'm sure they treat it uh, properly if, you know, if you're on some kind of paid plan, but, but, you know, 
going even further down the cost, kind of confidentiality track is, is a little hard. Privacy, yeah. I get the bank thing. I still think it's probably something that long-term it's going to be not easy for you to build completely in-house, frankly, right? And then, okay, you got MT. They've been doing it for five years. It's not as if they've just sort of yesterday thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have machine translation? It's a long, kind of a long, long time in the making. It's a long time in the making. And I do recall, actually, have, we have, we've had an article uh, about four years ago that UBS was hiring people for like an internal machine translation team. So it looks like BMP isn't, isn't alone here. I mean, maybe the amount that they spend would otherwise spend on outsourcing um, translation just justifies, or they've kind of calculated that it justifies this kind of level of investment. Um, so it is obviously big, big accounts. My point is more like there's so many other things they would need to build in-house. Maybe they view it as, as much as five years is not a, <laughs> you know, not a quick uh, timeline in, in my view. I mean, maybe the translation or at least getting a translation system up and running is seen as a quick win compared to, like you're mentioning, some of the other things that they could bring in-house. Well, let's see how, uh, yeah, how this goes forward, especially with, uh, again, DeepL going into the enterprise in a much, much bigger way. If this round actually closes again, big disclaimer. I mean, this is basically, uh, we're reporting on the reporting with, with DeepL that they, again, Business Insider broke that story. But what we do have confirmed is another M&A transaction, something that's been, um, I guess, been in the news for a while. I mean, Language Line now has emerged as the buyer for Capita PLC's translation business, Capita TI. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, it's kind of been in the works, at least the sale of Capita's translation and interpreting arm, Capita TI, has been in the works for a while. Um, people might remember that we reported on the story back in I think early 2020, so Capita TI owned by, as you said, Capita PLC. Um, and at the time in early 2020, they were looking to sell not only Capita TI, but also eight other businesses that they view as non-core. So the PLC, the big parent company, I mean, massive kind of um, UK public sector giant, um, well, private sector also, kind of very sprawling business doing a lot of different things so the idea was let's sell off our non-core businesses um you know to try and i guess dispose of these businesses try to reduce debt things like that um they were wanting to sell all nine sort of in one bundle uh, for at least 200 million pounds um i mean these again the nine businesses were themselves quite diverse so it was it was strange or i mean it would have been sort of hard to imagine what kind of profile of company might have taken on all nine in one in one go um, but the sale was then put on hold during covid um and then i mean now finally as you said it's been sold as a standalone and to um, language line before we unpack the language line things like does does somebody in the uk ever come across capita at all yeah in other walks of life um so I'm sort of struggling to kind of even list what they do because they seem quite sort of just everywhere, everywhere. Um, they do sort of staffing. They do some IT stuff. Um, like they, I think they work were even maybe working on some kind of COVID-related plans for you know government in in some way. Um, 
Yeah. So no, you you might have heard of it. You know, I I've got a friend who works for Capita in some other capacity than translation that does something totally unrelated. So I think yeah, a lot of people would would know the name if not exactly what they do. It's kind of interesting that they consider the translation unit as something they want to sell rather than kind of double down on, right? If they're so sprawling and they're public sector, I mean, that would be a fit in my view, like especially on the public sector side. I wonder about it. I think they, they, I don't know too much about it, but I think from what I remember reading, they're looking to go sort of more digital um, to kind of pursue more that branch rather than kind of, well, rather than translation, I suppose. But no, I agree that it's it, in some ways it's a good fit, um, but obviously they have viewed it for a long time as non-core. Maybe they also think they could get or might have been able to get a decent price tag for it compared to maybe some of the other businesses that, that would have been sold off. So so who bought it? Yeah, well, like we said, Language Line, who again is a very familiar name to at least most people in this industry. Uh, typically thought of, I think, more as and is more of an in, uh, interpreting specialist than um, translation. But I think Capita you know, will be good in that sense of, of building out, not just interpreting uh, or adding to interpreting, but also contributing more um, in the way of translation revenues. Um, so Language Line, uh, based in California, but actually owned by uh, Teleperformance, which is a French call center giant. Um, so yeah, a lot of kind of cross-border uh, things happening within this within this transaction. They're huge. They're huge, yeah. They have a presence over here in the UK as well, um, like quite a, a sizable one, I believe. Um, so I think, you know, maybe you'll see kind of a bit of a merging of offices and, and what have you over in the UK as well. They are a, well, okay, it's like a 13 billion euro market cap company held up quite well. Oh, teleperformance, yeah. Yeah, teleperformances, right? Uh, again, doing kind of call center, customer service. They've like, I think they have like hundreds of thousands of staff or at least like tens of thousands because they have so many people that, that are outsourcing to them. I was going to say, we don't know the amount that um, Capita TI was sold for, um, but we do have sort of ballpark revenues for them from 2021, I believe. So in 2021, they're around 21 million US dollars. Um, and that I think was a 17% increase on, on the year before. And EBITDA had more than doubled to GBP 2.25. And that was last year, 2021. The usual valuations, you know, that's like what, eight times EBITDA, seven, eight, nine times EBITDA. So you're looking at- 150, 160. More like 50, between 15 and 20 million. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, probably 15 would be too low, 20 something, one time revenue ish. We don't know, pure speculation, uh, but that's roughly uh, what these uh, these companies would, would, would sell for. Uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, look, to me, teleperformance remains kind of the, the, I don't know, not black swan, like some, but some swan uh, in, in the language industry. If they decide that this is something they want to pursue, they could buy anybody, right? Yeah, a bit stealth. Is that, I don't know. I think because, I mean, we don't hear that much about them, obviously, because other than sort of looking at the their results and talking about language line, um, they, as the kind of owner, we don't particularly focus too much, I guess, on the other areas of, of their business. But like you say, they could they could become a big bigger player in language services. The other area is completely uh, outside of our area of coverage. Anyway, let's move on from the, the, the white slash black swan of the language industry, teleperformance, moving on to something 
right smack in the middle, which is Straker Translation's biggest client. And now we know how big that client is. Yeah, it is precisely 15, well, not precisely, but let's say rounded up to 15 million US dollars. Um, and that client is IBM. Um, so yeah, I mean, big growth in, in the contract, um, which I mean, pe some people might remember that Straker announced they had won uh, the IBM contract, I think back in 2020, sorry, 2020. Um, it was initially a two-year contract that would, well, was extendable by two years. However, the announcement that Straker has made uh, is that the contract has been extended for another three years from uh, the 1st of January, 2023. And in the same announcement, which is where we took our headline from, uh, Straker said that IBM has contributed for uh, $14.8 million to its revenue in full year 2022. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think we kind of described IBM for Straker as the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but I mean, basically when the contract initially was announced in, in November, 2020, the shares in Straker shot up by about 75% uh, following the news and added about $25 million to its market cap. It's obviously continued to be a major contributor to, um, Straker's top line and has ramped up over time. I think in 2021, it started out by being sort of a hundred, uh, sorry, one million words per month that IBM was ordering from Straker. Um, and then, sorry, in 2020, so that, fir that first year, it was one million words per month um, and then ramping up to about 10 million words uh, later, later on. Um, and they're servicing all parts of the business 24-7 um, and have delivered something like 73 languages. So, you know, it's a, it's a major, major undertaking here. Um, and from IBM's side, it's also a story of, uh, of consolidation. Um, I think previously IBM said that their translations had to be ordered from over a hundred LSPs around the world. Um, and most of that was being handled manually. Now, whether that means kind of sending emails to, you know, order translation or, or what, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but now 90% of uh, the translation orders are pro processed in automatically. I think, um, you know, as we've kind of, uh, as we've, we've written about when we kind of reported on Straker's own uh, finances, uh, financial reports, um, they spent a lot of time and effort um, developing uh, a bespoke interface that links Straker's platform or Straker's system with IBM system. Um, so that to kind of push and pull content. So I think that's obviously been been working quite nicely for them. For that account, I'd be doing a lot of uh, bespoke connectors. If someone was offering you 15 million a year, yeah. <laughs> building all kinds of connectivity between my company and IBM. Uh, it's, 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 um, I mean, what, a, what a, what an account win. I mean, imagine like you win this thing and you become like IBM's so preferred, almost provider globally. Okay. Like good for, good for Straker. It's just like, how did you beat all these other companies that would have loved to do that too? I mean, generally having like almost full share of wallet from an account like that is rare, right? And then having an account like that, winning an account like that is a relatively uh, kind of a medium-sized player and getting almost full share of wallet is even rarer. Well, it's also a vote of confidence, isn't it? This this renewal, the fact that they could have renewed or they could have not extended, but they or they could have extended for two years as originally planned, but IBM's decided to 
extend by three years. It's deep now. This is so integrated. I mean, it would be probably a huge pain to like un untangle that thing again. Well, good for them. And uh, it did kind of give a bit of a boost to the shares, but overall kind of generally uh, flat um, uh, Stryker share price that is, but let's see when the market generally turns around a bit. Now, just just very briefly, uh, we're using for the production of this podcast, kind of the post-production, we're using a tool called Descript, which started out as a transcription tool and is now morphing into this like all-in video editing tool. It was an interesting journey because initially we came across this like four years ago for like other purposes and then we started using it for the podcast transcription and now it's basically like the perfect all-in ed- post po- uh, podcast editing platform. And they've raised 50 million in Series C from OpenAI. Also very interesting. And I mean, why am I bringing this up on this podcast? I mean, there is a language component to it, of course, with the um, with the transcription, right? But then there's also kind of this general um, new push by all these fundamental kind of AI platforms to get apps built on top. You know, we had Nick Frost from Cohere on the podcast who are building like a somewhat competing model to what OpenAI is doing, if I understand this correctly. And now we have companies like Descript and like a thousand others. Uh, you know, we also spoke about Jasper, that writing um, app that's built on GPT-3 that's from OpenAI. They're building like the app layer. So you have kind of the foundational pre-trained model layer that you can use, and then you build your app and business application on top of it, right? And that's what Descript is using. And it's pretty cool. I mean, we've been playing around with it now for the podcast production. Um, the the uh, what do you call it? The transcription is quite good. Uh, I think uh, one feature I'd request is in case they're listening, <laughs> some kind of adaptive transcription, like that it's that it learns over time, like people's names or company names. I suppose we mentioned quite a bit. Correct. MT. I don't know things like that. MT is always empty. MT. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> it's not because of my pronunciation. I think it's just generally something that it, it gets wrong. All right. So yeah, big news again coming in from Deep L, and we'll leave it at that. We got a uh, maybe next week we we'll do another news podcast, but then we have a, a few more guests scheduled before Christmas. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening today. Mm-hmm.